Well, we're, we're kind of, I, I don't know quite how to, to pitch this little um, intro, because uh, some of you are, well, you're in a season of, of prayer and fasting, right, as a church. So some of you are, are fasting um, food, and I was going to talk about chocolates, um, but... Um, you just have to bear it, you know, it's part of, it's part of the, the discipline, isn't it? Yes. I was going to talk about, you know, you know, boxes of chocolates, not, not the, not the kind of common ones that come in big barrels, um, that you, anyone got any chocolates left, by the way, after Christmas? Anyone still working their way? Yeah, I found this. I found this still working. It's called self-control. <laughs> so, so, or, or, or they don't like them. Could be one or the other. Um, you know when you have the, 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 the posh chocolates that come in layers, but then sometimes you don't really, have you ever had that experience when you're working your way for a box of chocolates and you've eaten everything except for the coffee cream or, or, or whatever your least favorite chocolate is. Um, and then suddenly you discover there's a second layer. Have you ever had that experience? Because I personally am not a, I, I'm, I'm quite disciplined about this. You do not go onto another layer until you finish the top layer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm finding some agreement there. Any, anyone need to confess that they go straight to the second? Oh. But it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great experience when you thought that you were all done and you suddenly discover that there's more. Um, or, if chocolates isn't really your thing, maybe we've got some Marvel fans in the room. Have we got any Marvel fans in the room? Okay, so, imagine that you had seen the Avengers, okay? Um, and then you had seen the Age of Ultron. Um, and you are so into Marvel that you've watched all the kind of like single character movies um, in between in the correct order. And you could probably tell everyone the order that they should um, come in. Okay, if, by the way, all of this is going over your head, just stick with the chocolates. Just, you just imagine right there. Um, but imagine you, you've been watching all the movies, but you never knew that Infinity Wars existed. Imagine when you discovered, when somebody told you, you've watched, you've watched the Avengers, you've watched the Age of Ultron, you've watched all the other movies, but there's another one, there's more. Imagine your joy, imagine your delight, imagine how quickly you would go home and download and watch and enjoy. Um, and I, I can't even begin to imagine your excitement um, about um, the end game. But um, by the way, I'm not into um, Avengers at all. I had to research all of that. Um, <laughs> but it seemed like a good illustration until I lost you all. Um, we're going to look... Um, this morning at someone in the Bible who discovered that there was more in a much less trivial way um, than my two rather poor examples. Um, if we turn together um, to 2 Kings um, 22 and be, be ready with that, um, actually you'll find about this character, King Josiah, in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Now I know we're renewing our commitment to the public reading of scripture, but I'm not going to read all four chapters um, that tell us the story of King um, Josiah, but I would recommend that if you can make the time um, to look up these, to jot down these chapters, make the time to look up, because I believe there's more that God can say to you 
and will say to you by spirit um, through the life of King Josiah. It's an amazing story. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of background to who King Josiah was because it helps us to understand what was going on in his life. And I'm going to go back quite a long way. I'm going to go back all the way um, to before Israel had any kings. Okay, so before Israel had any kings, they asked for a king. Uh, uh, They asked Samuel to appoint a king for them. And God said, well, Samuel said, and God agreed, it's really not a good idea. But God said, well, if that's what they want, then we'll give them a king. And so they had Saul was their first king in Israel. And Saul um, wasn't a great king. And so God removed Saul and along came David. Now, David was like, woohoo, he's like the greatest king ever in everybody's mind um, in Israel. That, they were like the glory days when David um, was the king. And the Bible describes him, despite um, things that he gets wrong in his life, still describes him as a man after God's own heart. Um, the trouble is, after David, oh, God makes a promise to David, by the way, that he'll always have one of his descendants on the throne. And this is a promise that will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. But between David and Jesus, God keeps fulfilling this promise to have a descendant of David on his throne. So what happens is David's son Solomon becomes king and he starts out really well. But by the end of his life, Solomon is really um, distracted. He's um, got loads and loads of wives and concubines and he's um, uh, idolatries going on. And, and, and so God says, as a result of this, the kingdom is going to be um, torn in two. There's going to be a division in the kingdom. And in order to be faithful to his promise to have a descendant of David on the throne, there's going to be a small section, a southern kingdom called Judah. uh, And the descendants of David will continue to reign on the throne. But there's going to be the the bigger part of, uh, of the nation, the northern kingdom. They're going to carry on being called Israel. Now, I'm explaining all of that because sometimes when we read our Bibles, we do get a bit confused, don't we? When we're in Chronicles and Kings and and it's like saying the king of Judah and the king of Israel. And, and you thought this king was king, but then it turns out this king was king at the same time. That's because of what had happened, the division between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Everyone happy? Cool. So, um, God keeps warning his people, both in the north and in the south, if you're going to keep being unfaithful, if you're going to keep um, going off and worshipping other gods, if you're not going to live your life in obedience, faithful to me, then basically this is not going to work. Um, the idea is that you as my people represent me, you live in obedience to me, you make me look amazing and everyone gets to experience the blessing and the, and the joy of living in relationship with me. You can be a blessing to the nations around you. But instead of that, God's people keep being unfaithful. So God says, it's not going to work. You're going to end up, you know, just basically you're going to end up in captivity if you don't live faithfully with me. And this happens So by 709 BC, the northern kingdom, Israel, which had had nothing but bad kings and had been really, really into idolatry, worshipping other gods, not living faithfully with God, they get taken captive by the Assyrians. So it's about 710 years before Jesus, the northern kingdom falls and the Assyrians conquer them and take them off into captivity. And at that time, the king in the southern kingdom is called Hezekiah. Okay, some of you have heard of Hezekiah nodding. Um, so Hezekiah is, is a fairly good king, um, but he has 
a son, and his son is called Manasseh. And Manasseh is a totally evil king. He's really wicked, and he's totally into worshipping false gods. Um, And the kings become kind of like symbolic of what's going on in the nation as well. So we're kind of interested in what's happening in the king, but it's also being reflected in the people. Because what we find in scripture is individualistic thinking is far less common than it is in our society today. So in our society, everything's about the individual. Yeah, everything is about you and, and your choices. And, and of course, there's, there's truth in the worth of the individual. But we sometimes find it hard to understand how much God deals with people as a people. Okay. So anyway, the, um, Manasseh's come along and he is totally, totally evil. And Manasseh has a son, Amon or Ammon or however you say it, uh, and he's pretty bad as well. And he only lasts um, for two years. Okay. And then he um, gets assassinated. Now, Amon is Josiah's father. And Josiah is eight years old when his dad dies. His dad dies, by the way, aged 24. So he was 16 when he had Josiah. So I'm trying to help you to understand what must Josiah's chances in life be like. Yeah, His grandfather is one of the most wicked kings ever. His father is wicked as well. His father dies when he's eight years old. And, you know, even from... From being born to being eight, his, his dad was basically a teenager and then into his early 20s. Um, he's not had the best start in life. And yet scripture tells us that Josiah was a good king. And that by the age of 16, he was seeking the Lord with all of his heart. So we're going to start to read a little bit about him in 2 Kings 22. Did you get all that? Did it make sense? Phew. 2 Kings 22, 1 to 7. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaiah. She was from Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah the high priest and make him get ready the money that has been brought to the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. And also... Make them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. So here we read about Josiah. He is concerned about the temple of the Lord. He's concerned that God's presence, because the temple um, at that time was representing God's actual presence in the midst of the community of his people. And and Josiah's concern, this temple needs restoring. We need to make things right. In fact, if we look at 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3, that's the parallel account in 2 Chronicles. Um, 
It says this in verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, so that's when he's 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his 12th year, so he's now 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and so it goes on. Josiah loved God. Josiah loved God, and he was trying to do the right thing. He was concerned that the temple should be restored. He was concerned that they should get rid of the idolatry. This was not a bad king. This was someone who loved God, who wanted to do what is right. I reckon not many of us are here today because we hate God and want nothing to do with him. I reckon not many of us are here today because we're trying to do everything we can to tear down God's kingdom and be unfaithful to him. Now, I can't assume that everybody is here because they've definitely made a decision to wholeheartedly follow Jesus with their whole lives. And if you are in that place of indecision, if you're here today and you're just a bit unsure and you're wondering or, or you got dragged along by a partner or, you know, if you're here and you're visiting today, then I want to tell you, you are very, very welcome. And I want to tell you that God loves you with all of his heart and that he has an amazing plan and purpose for your life. I want to tell you that God has an amazing good plan and purpose for our world to bring an end to all the corruption and brokenness and suffering and pain and that he wants you to know the joy of being part of that plan. He wants to give your life meaning and purpose and dignity and honour and he wants to partner with you to make a difference in the lives of people around you. And, you know, although the way she does it might be unique, you know, Joe's story would by no means be um, the, the only way in which God can make a difference in our world. He wants to do that with every single one of us. Every single one of us to touch lives around us, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring love where people feel rejected and abandoned. He wants to partner with every one of us. So I want to tell you today, if you're still searching, if you're not sure, God can restore meaning and purpose to your life and include you in his plan and purpose. And all you have to do is give up living your own way. Give up living your own way. Say sorry to him for living life without him, outside of a relationship with him. And commit your life to following him and living in relationship with him for the rest of your days. And I know that there are amazing people in this church family. uh, And if you didn't come with anyone, you'll find some of the leaders down the front. But talk to someone afterwards if that's you. um, Because we'd love to help you to, to make that commitment to following Jesus. But like I say, even if that's, even if, even if we're there, it's not because we hate God. And for most of us in this room, we're actually here because we positively decided we love him. And we want to serve him. And we want to follow him. And we want to worship him. And we want our lives to make a difference in this world. We're here because we love God. We might think that Josiah was pretty much already sorted. I mean, you know, compared to his dad and compared to his granddad, um, you don't have to be that amazing in the list of kings um, to go down as one of the good ones because the, the contrast was pretty bad in terms of the bad kings. And yet Josiah already, by this point, has a really good report. 
He's already done enough to be forever recorded in scripture as one of the good guys. And I think we'd be pretty satisfied with that, wouldn't we? You and I would be pretty happy if we'd, if, if scripture was still being written and, and we saw, phew, it's gone down in the pages of scripture, Richard was alright. I'll sell for that. I'll sell for that. As long as it doesn't say Richard disappointed God. You know, Richard was alright. He did okay. Oh, phew. Like pressure's off. Um, but let's just read what happened next with King Josiah. 2 Kings 22 verse 8 to 13. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. And then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. And then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam, son of Shaphan, Achbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's attendant. By the way, you just say them like you know how they should be pronounced, and everyone believes you. Go and inquire of the law for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Suddenly, Josiah discovers that there is far more. There is far more to living in relationship with God than he or the people had previously realized. It's not like they'd been against God. It's not like he'd been against God. It wasn't like he was, God had to come to him and say to him, you wicked king, how could you possibly be against me in your heart like this and, and, and you never worship me? He was the one who wanted to restore the temple. He was the one who was, who was breaking down altars. He loved God already. He was already seeking to serve God. And suddenly he discovers, but there is more. There is more to living in relationship with God. There's a whole load of stuff that God wants to speak to them through the book of the law, which was the scriptures as they have them at that time. And suddenly they discover there's more that God wants to say. I know you've been talking as a church about going higher. There's more. God is calling us higher. God is calling us into new things. And suddenly Josiah, he discovers, despite the fact that he's already been seeking to serve God. You see, you don't have to be against God. You don't have to be in outright sin and rebellion. You don't have to be doing the really bad sins, if I can say that. You know what I mean, yeah? You don't have to be doing the the, the really bad stuff for God to challenge you and say, but you know what? There is far more that I want to do with you. There's far deeper relationship that I want to call you into. There's far more power and authority that I want to release through you. There are far more lives in this town that I want to touch through you. There's more that I want to show you. There's more that I want to reveal to you. There's more, there's a, there's a, a more dynamic experience, a more powerful experience of living in the power of the spirit. And what will our reaction be? What will our reaction be? You see, Josiah, he tore his clothes. 
Now, I reckon we could probably interpret that into a more, you know, perhaps slightly more culturally relevant reaction in our meeting today. I'm not asking for any of you to tear your clothes off. Um, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not even going to say it. But Josiah's reaction is wholehearted. It's passionate. He's not like, well, actually, I've already done enough. And I've already been trying pretty hard. And if you're not seen how I've been trying to whip those people into shape down at the temple and get them doing the work that they're supposed to be doing, repairing it. And didn't you notice that I, that I, you know, tore down that altar last week? And he's not like trying to rest on his laurels. He's not satisfied. What he's known so far is not enough for him. The minute he discovers that God might be saying there is more. His reaction and his response is passionate and wholehearted. He repents. He repents. Not that he's been doing something wicked, but that he repents that there might be more that I didn't see. And even that I didn't see it, even that I wasn't aware of it, that's enough for me to be cut to the heart and say, God, I don't want to live another day any less than what you're calling me into. I don't want to be satisfied. I don't want to, I don't want to settle for less than your best, for less than your ideal, for less than the full on, fully empowered, dynamic life that we sang about this morning. I'm blessed and I'm anointed and I've been called higher. I've been called to live under the name of Jesus. The word that came to us, I've been called to live under the name of Jesus. What if there's more? What if there's more to living under the name of Jesus than we realized? What if there's more power and authority that God wants to release through you as the name of Jesus is on your lips and you pray? What if God wants to call you to accomplish more through prayer? What if God is revealing in this season of prayer and fasting that actually there is far more that he can accomplish through this community when it prays together? Remember, in scripture, God always speaks to a people. He cares about you as an individual. But what we see in Josiah's response is, yes, it's personal. He's passionate and wholehearted within himself. But then he leads a whole nation in response. You can read about it in the scriptures I've quoted. He leads the whole nation in renewing their covenant with God. And so they begin to tear down even more of the altars. They celebrate the Passover together. That was the old covenant meal that celebrated their relationship with God. And we've celebrated the new covenant meal um, together this morning. The whole nation starts to respond to God. What if there's more for you as an individual in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, on your street? What if there's more for us as a people? What if there's a greater impact that he's calling us to make in this town? What's your response if there is more? Are you cut to the heart? Does it bother you? Does it trouble you? Does it make you, does it make you want to repent? The thought that there could be anything. The thought that there could be anything that we were missing out on. Does it make you desperate? Does it make you wholehearted? Does it make you cry out and say, God, I want everything that you're calling us to. We don't want to be anything less than you've envisaged for us. 
Would we be desperate and would we be passionate to be all that God has called us to be as his community? 2 Kings 23 and verse 25 says this. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Everything that he is, a king who is already a good king, a king who is already doing the right thing, discovers that he can go higher, discovers that his people can live more intimately with God discovers that his people can live a more holy lifestyle, discovers that his people can be more of a blessing to the nations around them. Now, if you know the history, of course, you know, after Josiah, things go wrong again. And and of course, it takes Jesus to come and rescue us and truly enable us to live this life in relationship with God by virtue of the new covenant that we've celebrated this morning. But maybe Josiah's life could be an example to us and a provocation to us nevertheless. A heart that says, what I've done so far is not enough. As good as it may be, as pleased as God may be, God doesn't have to be angry with us in order to show us that there's more. God doesn't have to be saying that what you're doing at the moment isn't good enough. What if God's actually commending you? What if God's actually saying what you've done so far is great? What if God is actually saying I'm pleased with you and my smile is towards you? And I'm so blessed when I see you praying like that. And I'm, I'm so blessed when I see you serving like that. I'm so blessed that you obey my word to start up a business and, and start to touch the lives of people around you. And there are so many countless stories of that kind of thing going on in our midst. I'm so blessed by all of that. But nevertheless, I would say to you, I have more. I have more. I have more. And what will our response be? I've asked the... Um, well, I've asked Mark. I don't know if he's asked the band, but I'm assuming you want them to um, to come and just um, lead us um, in a song. We'll sing it through, um, and then I might just come and help us to to pray and reflect a little bit. Um, this song is just uh, it's it's a song you'll all know. Lord, I give you my heart. Um, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Just an opportunity for us to respond to God and say. If you want to, that is, to say, God, actually, I want everything. I want to live wholeheartedly. And if there's more, if you would show me that there is more, if you would speak to me. See, Josiah, or rather Hilkiah, the priest, discovered that there was more in the temple, in the presence of God. And so we just want to, right now, but not just today, but continually live in the presence of God. Say, Lord, speak to us and show us if there's more. So in a moment, I'm going to ask that we sing it through one last time. Um, But just as the musicians play and just in this moment, why don't you ask God to speak to you? This is about more than today. This is about tomorrow and the next day and the coming days. 
It's about continually living in a place where we're ready to hear God calling us to more. But what about right now? Why don't we just close your eyes if it helps and just ask God, God, what more do you have for me? What more are you calling me into? Maybe he wants to show you more through his word. Maybe he's calling you back to his word, to reading, to spending time praying, listening to him. Maybe there are specific things, specific actions that he's calling you to. Maybe there are relationships he's calling you to put right. Maybe there are things that you're involved with that he's telling you to stop. Maybe there are new plans, new initiatives, new opportunities that he's calling you into, that he's calling you to that. have the courage to step out and say yes. Maybe he's calling you to be more courageous in your workplace. Maybe he's calling you to be more courageous in sharing the gospel or in praying for the sick. Ask him. Let your response be wholehearted to him. Let your response be determined and passionate. I'm just going to wait for a moment and allow God to speak to us all. And then I'm going to ask the musicians just to lead us in response one more time.